0: but who loves conflict? Come on, where are my conflict fans? Nobody? Nobody lives for it. You thrive. You wake up every morning looking for it, right? Raise your hand if you're here. We want to acknowledge you and pray for you. Amen. Matt, was that a hand right? You're just scratching your head. Amen. Amen. As I thought, most of us are conflict-averse. We don't want it. We don't enjoy it. We avoid it like the plague. We don't want it around us. We don't want to have anything to do with it, right? We don't even want someone else who's having conflict to bring us into their conflict, right? If it was up to us like the Grinch, we wouldn't touch it with a a 39-and-a-half-foot pole. That's not reality, is it? It's not reality, is it? The reality is that we're going to have trouble in this life. We're going to have conflict. Even the word tells us in John 16 and 33, he says, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart because I have overcome the world. So conflict is in fact a part of life, a part of our everyday existence here on earth in this fallen world. But the beauty Of conflict, at least for the believer, is that there is a comfort for us. We are not without comfort in our conflict. Number one, He is with us. Number two, there is a time that has been fixed where we will lay down our burden and receive in its place the crown of life. We know that from James 1 and 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. As we look at our text this morning, we'll see both comfort and conflict. And in looking at them, we'll ask three questions. What is the source of conflict? How, what are we to do in conflict? And what is God's response to conflict. What is the source of conflict? So it doesn't just happen, right? Conflict doesn't just happen. It just didn't pop out out of, out of thin air. There is something or someone who is responsible for the conflict that comes up in your life. And although we know it's unavoidable, again, even the word tells us that in this life, in this world, you will have trouble At least for the believer, there is a code of conduct for us in conflict. And lastly, we acknowledge God is a righteous and just judge and will right every wrong and reward every deed. So he has a response to conflict. Look with me again at Matthew 13, beginning at verse 24. The word of the Lord says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. While his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore again, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house, excuse me, came and said, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. While his men were sleeping, an enemy came and sowed seeds. The servant said, Master, didn't you sow good seed? He said, yes, I sowed good seed. Well, how is it then that you have weeds in the field? The master's response is, an enemy has done this. An enemy I want to remind you, lest in our comfort we forget that we have an enemy. He's an enemy of all. Scripture tells us, for the devil was sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. He's an enemy of all. He's an enemy who is unrelenting. Job 1 and 7 says, the Lord said to Satan, where have you come? And Satan answered and said, from going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it. 1 Peter 5, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He is unrelenting. He's an enemy of great cunning and skill. Genesis 3 tells us, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God has made. He's an enemy who wants nothing more than your total destruction. John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. You see, family, we're not just followers of Christ. We're soldiers of Christ. 2 Timothy 2 says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ. Jesus 4 goes on to say, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Verse 4 in the New King James says, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. So hear the wording, suffering, soldier, warfare. These are not the words of a people at peace. These are the words of a people engaged with an enemy. So we see two tactics of this enemy, three tactics of this enemy, as we look at our text. Number one, he moves in secrecy. Scripture says, while everyone was asleep, the enemy came and sowed his weeds. There's no fanfare. There's no drums like you see in some of the movies as people are marching into battle. No horn is being blown. No banners are being waved. There are no war cries. There's nothing to announce or signify that war is being declared. Nothing to raise the attention of those being attacked that they might rise up and prepare themselves for war. He moves in secrecy. Second tactic of the enemy, he simply sows seed. Again, the text says, while everyone was asleep, he came and sowed weeds among the weed and went away. The enemy sowed seed when no one was looking and in a manner that no one would notice. Third thing, third tactic about this enemy, he sows counterfeit seed. Why is this important to note? Because no one knew that there was even an attack until it was too late to do anything about it. His enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away so when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds appeared also. When everybody woke up the next day, they just went about their business. There was no action or reaction because they knew or no one knew that anything had even happened. Everything looked and felt like it had the day before. Family, this makes our adversary a very dangerous enemy. When we normally think of an enemy, we think of an apparent foe who is in direct and obvious opposition to us. Someone or something that we can point our finger, to, our finger to. When we think of an enemy, we think of someone or something that we can turn our attention or our efforts towards. Someone or something that we can engage, someone or something that we can blame. But how do you point a finger at an enemy that you can't see? What efforts do you give to events that you never even knew took place? Who do you engage, who do you blame when you don't even know that anything has even happened? These are the tactics of your very real and very dangerous enemy to lull you to sleep, to make you feel that you're at peace when you're actually at war, to plant seeds in your life that throw you off balance, rob you of peace, and keep you in a position of frustration, constantly reacting to things around you that seem to just come up out of nowhere. Things like random thoughts, an off word that your coworker or spouse or family member says at just the right time and just the right way to get under your skin and ruin your whole day. You ever had to happen? Yeah. The man or woman that you may catch in the corner of your eye. Our social media posts, the anger, the anxiety, the depression, all of these things can be used as seeds by the enemy that keep us from experiencing God's peace and that distracts us and derails us from walking in God's purpose. The the source of conflict, the enemy. So, how do we respond? How do you respond to an enemy that comes unannounced and leaves no immediate evidence that he was ever there? How do you respond when seeds of your enemy show themselves to be weeds? Look with me at verse 26, Matthew 13, 26. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to them, then do you want us to go and gather them? The deed is done. The weeds have sprung and the servants respond. And looking at their response, we see three things. They saw the weeds, they went to the master, and they looked to address the weeds instead of the wheat the servants noticed the weeds growing in the field and wondered about the source of the problem, went to the master. Did you not sow good seed? If you planted good seed, why then are there weeds? Where did they come from? The master alerts them to the presence of an enemy as the source of the problem. The weeds are not there by accident or by natural causes. The weeds are an intentional act of harm to the wheat intended to do harm to the harvest of the master. The servants come up with a simple strategy, something they thought was a good idea. Let's just pull them up. Seems sensible, right? I don't do any gardening, but I know people pull their weeds. I've seen our pastor, our brother, out in his yard pulling up weeds. It seemed like a good idea, right? Do you want us to gather them? The servants ask. But the master exposes a problem with their strategy. If you get rid of the weeds now, you may also damage the wheat in the process. So the servants do two things that we want to adopt, and they do one thing that we want to avoid. They saw the weeds. They were able to look out in the field and see weeds in the wheat. This is a level of discernment that we want. That I pray God gives us this ability of discernment to walk in every day in our life. Because you need the ability to discern what's weed and what's wheat. And not just in the world, but in the church as well. In Matthew 13, Jesus tells eight parables. And of the eight, this is the only one, the parable of the weeds and the wheat that the disciples request that Jesus explain to them. So we know from this text that the field is the world. Verse 37 says, if you have your Bibles open, he answered them, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The field is the world. You need the ability to recognize enemy activity in the world. You need this because you are not of the world. John 17, 14 says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by thy truth. Your word is truth as you have sent me into the world. So I have sent them into the world. Understand that the world hates you because you are wheat and not weeds, you have an enemy. Expect opposition, expect conflict in the world. 1 Peter 4 confirms this, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial that comes upon you to test you as though some strange thing has happened to you. But the world is not the only place the enemy operates, is it? Why did the servants, or why didn't the servants notice the weeds earlier? A common weed in Palestine, the Palestine area is a weed called the bearded darnel. I hope I'm saying that right. Either bearded darnel or bearded darnel. As it begins to grow, it looks very similar to the wheat. It's only when the wheat begins to develop its head that the weed becomes discernible. The weeds were prone, or rather these weeds were prone to getting infection and and, and mold and therefore becoming poisonous. So if the weeds and the wheat mixed, then whatever they make, whatever food they make that wheat with is contaminated. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 11 that Satan loves to masquerade as an angel of light. So in other words, he loves to pretend that he is something that he is not, and he loves to plant in the church those who look just enough like the real thing to lead others astray. Scripture warns us, therefore, to be uh, uh, aware of false Christ and false prophets and false gospel, and they all can look and sound pretty good, right? Right? They use spiritual language. They talk about love. They proclaim to be your brothers and your sisters. But all the while, they're seeking to move you away from Christ. Satan is a good counterfeiter. He's able to produce people who look very much like believers. They know all the lingo. They're nice people. They're good people. They adopt Christian practices. They get involved in churches, some of them even Leave churches. In Matthew 7, verse 21, we hear the words, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father on that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out devils in your name and do mighty works in your name? And I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawless. These are people who seem like they are every day bit authentic. But they are counterfeit. So you see seeds of the enemy in the world and you see seeds of the enemy in church. This is why discernment is so important. We need discernment to properly respond. Again, two two things that the servants did well that we want to adopt. We pray for discernment to recognize weeds and we want to take our concerns to the master when they saw the weeds they went to the master with this concern why is it important why is it important to take what we see to the master it's important because it's the master's field right only he knows what is weed and what is wheat and what his will is for either of them If we respond improperly, we run the risk of damaging the very ones that he is trying to deliver. We can't afford to be distracted by seeds that turn out to be weeds that we forget he planted us as seeds to be wheat. John 15 says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. We're not the vine dresser. We're not even the vine. We're branches. Branches that are called to bear fruit. Seeds called to produce fruit after its kind. We are trees that hopefully are known by the fruit that is bearing fruit to the glory and praise of God. Are you known by your fruit? Or are you known by what you're against? As you're walking and working in God's field, are you known for being wheat? Or are you known for your desire to pull up weeds? Because these are two very different things. So we acknowledge the enemy as the source of the weeds. How should we respond to weeds? Our response to weeds is to simply be visible, spirit led, Christ exalting, fruitful wheat. Just be who God called you to be. Lastly, how does God respond? Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. So the servant said to him then, do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest, and at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn." And looking at God's response, we see caution and care. The master of the field knows that there are weeds in his field. He knows that those weeds can poison others if they are mixed together with his wheat. But he also knows that inappropriate action on behalf of the servants can do more harm than good. A lot of time we want to try to force people into that Christian box, right? Right? But trying to force morality and obedience can hurt the cause of Christ rather than help it. How often have people looked to the church and rather than seeing uh, uh, love, they see anger. Rather than seeing humility, they see pride. Rather than seeing gentleness, they see harshness. We have to keep in mind the words of 2 Peter 4 the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He knows what's in his field, and he has an appointed time of harvest, an appointed time to reconcile what's in his field. Are we trusting God in this process? Are we allowing him to be God and looking over his field and doing what he wants to in his field? Do we hope that he will do others what he's done for us because we weren't always wheat? Amen. Colossians 1 tells us, Colossians 1, excuse me, tells us, and you who were once alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if you indeed continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Do we want that? Do we want that for others? The same deliverance, the same grace, the same reconciliation that God has done for us. The master responds by telling us not to focus on the weeds. Focus on the harvest. He says, take caution how you move in my field. Scripture tells us in John 3 that Jesus was not sent into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So again, John 17, Jesus saying, as the Father sent me into the world, I send you into the world. A season is field, We're not on a mission of destruction. We're on a mission of mercy. We are not judges here. We are ambassadors here. We've not been given a, a, a ministry of weed control. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us charged with the task to cry out on behalf of Christ, the one who has planted us as seeds in his field to everyone who would hear, be reconciled to God. The Lord expects a harvest. Many of the parables so far that we've covered, you see repeatedly this idea of a master who has gone away on a journey You see that there are servants that have been entrusted with various things that belong to the master. And no matter the product being entrusted, when the master returns, he always calls his servants and requires that they give an account. He wants to know that you've produced fruit on his behalf because the Lord expects a harvest. One day your time will be up in his field. And the master will call you before his throne and he will ask that you give an account. No one plants the seeds without expecting a harvest. And our Lord does not either. And throughout the ages, the Lord has been planting good seed in his field. And there is coming a day of harvest. A day when the master will return. Some, when he returns and they stand before him, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into my joy, into my rest. They'll be gathered into his barn. But there are others who will be gathered and burned. Which one will you be? I pray by the mercies and grace of God that we will all hear the words, good, well done, good and faithful servant. That we have been faithful in being seeds that he has planted us to be, that we will be fruitful with the gifts and talents that he has given us. May it be so in Jesus' name. Let us pray. Father, we thank you.